Well, hey, everybody good? You guys are fun. You know, I was here last night, got in, and um, I, I said this last night, and I, I want to be clear. Uh, you, guys have, you guys have seen me before. I'm actually not Ryan. I'm actually Mike Bro. I just grew a beard. Um, in one week, in one week, I grew a beard, and so I'm back. This week, I didn't bring a, a bike or a skateboard or anything like that, but, but I'm back, and it is good to be back with you today, gang. Isn't that what he says? says gang a lot. All right. Um, but like Jacob said, I am from Omaha, Nebraska. And you might ask the question, why? And it's a great question. Like, why do you live in Omaha, Nebraska? Here's why. Because somebody has to. <laughs> somebody does. When, when, when Jesus said uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, what he meant was Omaha, Nebraska. When he said ends of the earth, he meant Omaha, Nebraska. So that's where I live. And um, it's, a, it's a crazy place. In fact, you might be here today and you might be going, I don't even know where Nebraska is. And so for you, if you're geographically challenged, um, I brought a map for you. So here's the map uh, for you to understand where Nebraska is. Here's the way it works, okay? So there are some states that are, that are touching large bodies of water. And then there are some states that are landlocked, meaning there's one state between them and a large body of water. And then there's some states that are doubly landlocked, which means there's two states that keep them from a large body of water. And then there's Nebraska. We're the only state, we're the only state that is not, that is triply landlocked. Now, I moved to Nebraska about three years ago. I moved from Spokane, Washington to Omaha, Nebraska. Now, here's the thing. If you know anything about geography and anything about like who God is and what he created, you know that I lived in, in, in an amazing, amazing place. There were mountains and there were rivers and there were lakes and the ocean was just a few hours away. And, and God said, hey, Ryan, I want you to go to Omaha, Nebraska. And my wife said, do we really believe in this God? Because she loves the ocean. She loves the ocean. In fact, maybe you didn't know this. One fact for you to understand today and know before we get into the word is that Nebraska actually has a Navy. Do you know that? Like we have, we have a Navy in our state. It's amazing. I've met people who are like, I'm a captain on a submarine. And I'm like, I don't see any submarines around here. It's very flat land. If you know nothing about it, it's very cold in the winter, very hot in the summer. We have one thing going for us, one thing, and that is the College World Series. That's all we have. And you will know that it's not the College World Series because I'm here this week, okay? If it was the College World Series, I would be there, not here. And, and it's one of those things that we have for us. It's the only thing we have. In fact, tourism slogan. Nebraska came out and said, we need a slogan for our state. You wanna know what the slogan is for our state? Here it is, check this out. Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. That's a real thing. That's on billboards around the state. That's where I live. Well, you've been in the series, and I've been in the series. It's been fun, right? This Quest 52, where we're looking at the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. And what you find is that when you spend time with someone, you find out what's most important to them. And as we've spent time in this study, we find what's most important to Jesus. But you know this is true in real life, right? When you spend time with someone, you find out what is most important to that person. For instance, if you were to spend time with me, you'd find that I have two things that are very important in my life. Number one, the Chicago Cubs. Love the Chicago Cubs. Any Cubs fans in the house today? A few of you, all six of us, let's hang out later. Okay, what are you guys a fan of, for real? Like, what are you a fan of? The Astros? Did I hear that? I heard basketball? Like, what? Like, baseball fans. Any baseball fans in the house? What are you a fan of? 
The Rays, oh my goodness. We got a weird eclectic group of people in this room, all right? Like, let's just all, let's just all be okay with that. So the Cubs are number one. Number two, not number two, like, these are the same, okay? Things that I care about are, are, is my family. If you spend any time with me, you're gonna find that my family is the most important thing to me. In fact, uh, they're not here with me this week, but I did bring a picture of them for you to kind of get to know me a little bit and to get to see my family. So this is my family. This is me last week, actually, Mother's Day at my church uh, last week. So I've got my beautiful wife, Blair, there. We've been married for 19.75 years. Now... <laughs> Here's the thing, uh, you laugh, here's the thing. For real though, if you met me and spent time with me, you would understand that she is a saint. 19.75 years with me is a long, long time with me. So we've been married for almost 20 years. Uh, right there in the middle is our oldest daughter. Her name is Kendall. She is 12 years old, uh, going on 13. Uh, below her is my youngest daughter, Ezra. She is six, going on 35. And then over here wearing the San Diego Padres hat with a long flowing hair is my son Daxton. He is 10. Uh, we've decided we're just gonna let him grow his hair as long as he wants because uh, he's related to me. And at some point, that's coming off. <laughs> and so we just decided, you know what, bud? You can grow it as long as you possibly want to, as long as it doesn't get in your face during baseball season. But when you find, uh, when you spend time with somebody, you find out what's most important to them, don't you? In fact, maybe your boss, when you spend time with your boss, you find out that what's most important to them is punctuality. Or maybe it's punctuation in emails. I don't know what your boss is like. Maybe you're one comma away from getting written up. Maybe for your coworkers, what's most important to your coworkers is that you don't heat up fish in the company microwave, Right? Maybe for your wife or your spouse, it's, it's that, they actually, that they actually listen to them. Hey, can, we just, can we just talk about this for a second, though? Because I need, I need my new friends to help me out a little bit. My wife tells me incredibly important and critical information while I'm trying to watch a game. Anybody else? And she tells me things. And she says, hey, would you listen to this? And I'm like, but there's a game on. And she's like, will you listen, will you listen, will you listen? And can we just call it what it is now that if there's a game on, that the chances of me actually retaining what she's going to tell me is 0%. It's not even 5%. It is 0%. Church, can we agree that she should not do that? Can we agree on that? I heard some no's, but I'm hearing some clapping from some dudes, all right? I hear you dudes. I know, right? I'm going to tell her that, that a new thousand friends of mine just said we can do this, Okay. But when you spend time with someone, you find out what's most important to them. Maybe for your teacher, it's, hey, maybe you should turn in some homework on time. Maybe for your gym buddy, it's to find out that they do CrossFit because they tell you they do CrossFit over and over and over again. When you spend time with someone, you find out what's most important to them. And when we spend time with Jesus, as we have in this series, we find out what is most important to Jesus as we learn about him and, and learn from him and see the miracles that he performs and the teaching he does. And today we're going to unpack what is most important to Jesus, what, what really impresses Jesus, what amazes Jesus. And before we do that, there's a couple things that don't amaze Jesus. That maybe for a long time Christians have said, hey, if I just do this, I'm going to amaze Jesus. If I just do this, I'm going to impress Jesus. For instance, for many of us, we might think that knowledge impresses Jesus. If I'm just knowledgeable, if I'm the smartest person there, if I, if I can talk about Bible story after Bible story after Bible story, guess what, church? He never went around and found people and was like, you know what? You're so smart. You know so much about the Torah. I'm going to write your name down. You're, you're an incredible human being. He never was impressed by knowledge. He was never impressed by obedience either. He, he expects obedience, but he was never impressed by obedience. You know what impressed Jesus? Faith. 
faith impressed Jesus. In fact, there are two times in scripture in which Jesus is amazed. And we're going to look at those two times today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. And before we get there, i got to ask a question. How many of you are paper Bible people? Who are my paper Bible people? Hold it up real high. All right, all right, all right. How many of you are digital Bible people? You use your phone? Okay, okay, okay. How many of you are Skybel people? You use the Skybel, the, the Bible in the sky. How many? Yeah, we got some Skybel people in the room. All right, so Luke chapter 7. Whatever, whatever Bible you got to use today, let's use it. Luke 7, starting in verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now, hit pause for a second. What did Jesus just finish saying? Great question. He had just finished his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So he just finishes the Sermon on the Mount, and after he's done with the Sermon on the Mount, he is now entering into a town called Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Now, now Capernaum was Jesus' home base. It's where he went back to often. And there's about 1,500 people who lived in this little city because of the proximity to the Sea of Galilee. There's a bunch of fishermen who lived there, and that's how they made their livelihood. And so they lived in this area. And so Jesus goes back into Capernaum, and he's introducing a character in this story. And this character is a guy, he's a centurion. And you might ask the question, well, what's a centurion? Great question. A centurion is a commander in the Roman army. He would oversee about 80 to 100 men. It's the highest rank that you could possibly get without being born into nobility, without being born into a royal family. And these centurions, along with their 100 or so men, would go into towns and they would kind of help build the infrastructure of the town. They would keep the peace in the town. That's what these guys are there to do. They're to be the backbone of the Roman army in these little communities. And the Bible says that this centurion has a servant who's sick. And you might read that and go, okay, he's going to get him healed. That's awesome. Here's the deal. Centurions would have looked at their servants much like we look at tools, Tools in our garage, tools for the garden, tools for whatever it is that we're trying to do, the project we're trying to do. And if that tool isn't up to 100%, they would just throw it out and get something new. And so when the servant is sick, you would expect him just to throw his servant out and go get a new servant. But that's not what it says. It says he's highly valued. And so he's about to do something. He's heard that Jesus is in town. So check this out. Verse 3. The centurion heard of Jesus. He hears he's in town. He, he's, he hears that he's able and capable of doing things in his life. And so he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves for, to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So the centurion sends out some, some leaders of the Jews and they go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, listen, this guy deserves to have you come and do this. This guy deserves because he's helped us build a synagogue. In fact, the ruins of the synagogue are still there today. So he's, he's a big deal, Jesus. And because he's a big deal, you got to come. You got to help us. You got to heal his servant. Verse six. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, doesn't this sound like a double standard? He sends the leaders of the Jews to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, would you come? And just as he's getting ready to the house, he sends his friends out and says, no, 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 don't come in. You say, well, what's going on here? Why would he do that? Here's what's going on. If Jesus crosses the threshold He's going to be considered unclean. And so the centurion says, hey, listen, I don't want you to cross the threshold because I don't want you to be considered unclean because I understand the ministry 
that you're trying to do. And I don't want you to be unclean to, to your people. And so don't come in to my house. But, check this out, verse 7. But, say the word. Everybody say, say the word. Not everybody said it. Let's try it again, all right? Say the word. There was still that one guy, I know, up in the cheap seats, didn't say it, so elbow him. All right, here we go. Everybody say, say the word. Thank you, that guy in the cheap seats. Say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes. And that one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, he's recognizing the authority of Jesus. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, you just say the word. Because when you say words, things change. When you say words, circumstances get, get rectified. When you say words, things are different. So Jesus, would you just say the word? Say the word in my life. Say the word in my servant's life. Say the word, and I know that something's gonna happen if you just say the word. Because when Jesus says words, things change. When Jesus says words, circumstances are different. In fact, if you flip through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you flip through the stories of Jesus, you find that when Jesus speaks, things change. In fact, there's a time in which Jesus is on a boat. Maybe you remember this story. He's on a boat and he's sleeping and there's a storm that comes and the disciples, many of them are fishermen and they're freaking out. They've never been in a storm like this before and they're scared to death and they go wake Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, you gotta do something. And Jesus gets up from his slumber, looks out over the waves and he goes, be still. And it stops. See, when Jesus speaks, things change. Or what about a time when Jesus goes to a tomb of his friend Lazarus? Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus walks up to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man starts walking. See, when Jesus speaks, things change. Or what about the pool of Siloam? When Jesus walks up to the pool of Siloam, it's this pool where a bunch of lame and deaf and, and sick People would be laying, waiting for the water to be stirred because they believed that every time the water was stirred, the first person in the water would be healed. So you have all of these people laying around the pool of Siloam. And Jesus walks up to a guy who's been there for a long, long, long time, 38 years. He says to him, do you want to get well? And the man starts giving excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he can't get well. And finally, Jesus just says, hey man, pick up your mat. And walk, because when Jesus speaks, things change. And this guy knew that. This guy understood that. This guy saw the authority and the power of Jesus to say, Jesus, you just say the word. Say the word in the, in the servant's direction. If you just say the word, I know that you're going to do something in his life. Just say the word. And when Jesus heard this, verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. Then the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I love this. Jesus says, hey guys, I've never seen faith like this before. Big, bold, active faith. Where the centurion says, don't come to my house, just say the word. And when you say the word, my servant is healed. That's one time Jesus is amazed. He's amazed that this man has the faith just to say, say the word. There's another time Jesus is amazed. 
It's when he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and he performs a couple miracles there, does some teaching there. And at first, everyone's impressed by him. They're all impressed and they're excited that he's home. But then their jealousy begins to sink in. If you have your Bible, flip it open to, to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says this. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us as well? And they took offense at him. Here's what they're saying. He, he comes back home. He performs some miracles. He, he does some incredible teaching. And they're at once like, hey, man, this is awesome. But then all of a sudden, they go, you know what? He's not all that special. Isn't he Mary and Joseph's son? Aren't his brothers and sisters? He built me that shed. See, he's a carpenter. He built me that shed right over there. That's who he is. He's not special at all. And here's his response. Verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Let that sink in. There are two times in which Jesus is amazed. You know what they are? Great faith and lack of faith. Great faith and lack of faith. And you want to know why people in his hometown had a lack of faith in him? It's because they were familiar with him. They were too familiar with him. And familiarity can be the enemy of faith. We can become too familiar with who Jesus is and what he's capable and able to do that we just don't trust him with our lives. Because we're too familiar with him, we just don't trust him with all that we have and all that we are. And I want to say to you today, can we just celebrate for a second, celebrate the faithfulness of God in your life to understand that when you celebrate it, it'll get repeated. When you celebrate the faithfulness of him, it gets repeated over and over and over again. So you can wake up every single day and say, you know what, he is faithful and I can celebrate this. About a year ago, my wife came to me and she said, Ryan, I think it's time we get a dog. And I said, honey, we, we have a dog. We have Muffin. I didn't name it. We, we have Muffin. Muffin is a 12-year-old dog. And I said, when Muffin dies, we'll get another dog. And she said, no, 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 no. I think it's time that we get another dog because I don't want to go through this season where we don't have a dog in our house. And I said, honey, listen, I'm not getting another dog. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you are dog people in the room? Dog people? Okay. How many of you are cat people? I'll pray for you. Um, I, we are dog people. We are dog people, but it's one of those things where I just told her over and over and over again, we're not getting another dog because we already have a dog. And when this dog dies, we then will make the decision to go get another dog. So we compromised and we got a dog. And, <laughs> and I forgot, I forgot. And maybe, maybe you did too. When you bring a puppy home, you forget what it's like to have a puppy in your house? Because I was familiar with Muffin. Muffin was really easy. Muffin is an old dog. She lives under the bed. She comes out from the bed when she wants food or she wants to go outside. That's it. We're like, hey, Muffin, you're alive today. That's good to see you, all right? That's kind of how we live our life with Muffin. And then all of a sudden, we brought a puppy home. And we didn't just bring a puppy home. We brought a doodle home. Now, Here's, I love that dog, so we'll call it what it is. But we brought the doodle home, and he is, he's a puppy. And, and puppy stage, you remember what puppy stage is like for those of you that have dogs? Puppy stage is where you got to like uh, set whole reminders about things you got to do around the dog's schedule. And you got to send the dog outside. And when you send the dog outside, what do you have to do? You have to follow the dog outside to then celebrate when the dog goes to the bathroom. 
The dog goes to the bathroom on the, the grass and you're out there and you're celebrating the fact that the dog went to the bathroom on the grass. You're like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. You're such a good dog. And then you, 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 know, you take it inside and you give it a treat and you do the whole thing. Why do you do that? Because you celebrate what you want to see repeated. You celebrate what you want to be repeated. And I think, church, that many of us, and maybe I'm just talking to myself today. I think that many of us have gotten too familiar with Jesus that we've stopped celebrating what he's capable and able of doing in our life. That we can tell story after story after story of the faithfulness of God in the Bible. Man, he's so faithful. He's so faithful. The story of David and Goliath where David goes and fights this giant. What an incredible story of his faithfulness in that moment. Or Daniel when he doesn't bow down and he gets thrown into the lion's den. Daniel was so faithful in that moment and God was so faithful in that moment. Or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, the same story, just a fiery furnace instead of a lion's den, right? Or Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Or maybe you go up with Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're better for it, right? <laughs> but where he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. God's so faithful in that moment. Or Joshua fights the battle of Jericho. He's so faithful. Or Gideon and the Midianites. Or Jesus and the cross. And we hear all these stories. We can recite all these stories. We've got so much faithfulness in the Bible to say, man, these stories are incredible. How God is always there and God is always showing up. But when was the last time you prayed, hey, God, say the word kind of prayer. When's the last time that you actually lived out the faithfulness of God in your life? It's because I think for many of us, and again, maybe I'm just talking to myself today, we get way too familiar with the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus that we forget about the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. See, I'm reminded of a story in Genesis and maybe you know the story. It's a story about a guy by the name of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. Right? And in the story of Abraham, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go to a far distant land, and I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so he does. He, he and his wife, they, they take off and they go to a, a far distant land. But they still don't have kids when you come to Genesis chapter 17. So in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 15, says this, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah. And I'll bless her and I'll surely give you a son by her. So God comes to an elderly Abraham. Abraham is 100 years old at this time. His wife, Sarai, is 90 years old at this time. And he comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to change your wife's name. She's gone by Sarah or Sarai for 90 years. I want you to change her name from Sarai to Sarah. She's 90. She's not going to remember it anyway, so let's just call it what it is. <laughs> then he says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Check out Abraham's response, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. And he laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man that's 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Hey, God, I think you came to the wrong Abraham. I'm 100. My wife is 90. I mean, this might sound funny to us, but it's even funnier to Abraham. He starts laughing. And then God says in verse 19, yes, but your wife, Sarah, he's changed her name fully now. He's no longer Sarai. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you'll call him Isaac. 
Hey, I, hey I've given him a name. You get to have a son, your firstborn ever. I know that you've waited 100 years to have a kid. I named him for you. His name is Isaac. Imagine Abraham going home and having to tell his wife this conversation. I mean, just put yourself in his sandals for a second. Goes home. Hey, honey, how was your day? Yeah, um, so I was, I was talking to, to God today. The God who made us move to this far distant land. That one, yep, that one, uh-huh. And uh, he said, just, he, he said your name is gonna be changed. So you're no longer Sarai, you're Sarah. So hello, Sarah, that's your new name. Um, I know your parents named you, but he changed it. Also, um, he said, you're gonna have a son. And he named the son. His name is Isaac. Verse 12, we get, we get, we get Sarah's response. Verse 12 of chapter 18. So Sarah laughed to herself. And she thought, after I am worn out in my lowercase Lord, she's talking about Abraham. She's not talking about God. My lowercase Lord is old. Will I now have this pleasure? I love this. She says, I am tired and retired. That's who I am. And then she calls her husband old. Don't miss that. Do not miss this gem right here. He's 100, she's 90. And she's like, 90 is not old. 90 is the new 30, Abraham. Abraham laughs, Sarah laughs, God interrupts the laughing, check it out. Then God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Check this next question out. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the point of time next year and Sarah will have a son. In other words, why are you laughing? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a great question. It's a really good question. And the question is not, is anything too hard for Abraham and Sarah? The question is not, is anything too hard for the Roman centurion? The question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? And if I may, no. God leans into their life and says, why are you laughing? Stop laughing at the plans that I have for you. Know that I'm with you in all of it. To the Roman centurion, he's with him in all of it. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, he's with you in all of it. In your pain, in your circumstance, in your shame, in your guilt, in your addiction, in your sin, in your past, in whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever you brought in here today, understand this. He's with you in it. And nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing. He's with you in it. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of taking my family to Disney. Anybody ever taken your family to Disney? Anybody? All right, so you don't have a bank account like me. Cool. <laughs> we'll hang out later. We'll, we'll eat from the value menu together later. And uh, we took our family to Disney. It was one of those things where uh, we decided that we'd, spent, or we'd saved up all this money to go, and we were really excited to go. And then we told my sister about it. And my sister was like, yeah, I think we'll just go too. And I was like, oh, you just, you can do that. All right. So, so she joined us as well, uh, her and her family. And so it's, it's my family and her family. Now, her family is a little bit older. All of her kids are older than my kids. And so we understood that there's some rides that they're going to want to do. There's some experiences that they're going to want to do that my family cannot do. Like there's some, you saw the age of my kids. They also have my stature. In case you're wondering, I am six foot five, okay? Um, and, and so they, they're just some rides they cannot ride. They're just too short to ride rides. And so we had to tell my youngest that. We had to tell my, my daughter, uh, hey, hey, Ezra, listen, there's some rides that you're just not gonna be able to ride. For whatever reason, you're just not gonna be able to. Now, what you need to understand about Ezra is Ezra is just like me. She's incredibly bullheaded. And if you tell her she can't do something, She's going to do that thing, just what she's going to do. And so we said, Ezra, you cannot ride certain rides. There's some rides you're just never, ever, ever going to be able to ride. And she's like, watch me, dad. 
watch me. And so we get, to, we get to Disney and there's one ride in particular that she really, 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 really wanted to ride. Uh, it's this ride in Toy Story Land called Slinky Dog. Any Toy Story fans in the house? Tough crowd. All right. Um, so Slinky Dog is as it sounds. It's a, it's a dog head on one end and a dog behind on the other. Oh, I said behind. It, it, that's what he got. And then you got this Slinky in the middle and it's a roller coaster of a ride. Now church, ask me how many times my daughter has been on a roller coaster in her life. I said, ask me, it's zero, okay? She's never been on a roller coaster in her entire life. And she's like, dad, I wanna ride this ride. And so we get there and we look at the height restrictions to see how tall this ride is and all that stuff. And we figure out that there's some things we're gonna have to do to kind of sneak her on. Now, here's the deal. It was great that my sister came because when my sister came and we came, there's like 14 people in our group now. And so because there's so many people in our group, we're able to kind of like sneak by the attendant and they never know. Okay, we, we figured it out. If, if you want tips on how to, how to sneak by attendance at Disney, I'm your guy. And so we, 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 sneak, we sneak this like tiny little person by the, by the guy and all of a sudden we arrive at Slinky Dog and it's one of those things where we had done the Fast Pass, the Disney Plus, the Genie Plus or whatever it is they're calling it this week to get on the ride first. We did not see this ride ride. We'd never seen it go. It's very important to note that we had never seen this ride go in its, in, in its thing. I thought that my wife might've done some research she did not. Um, maybe she told me that, but I was probably watching a game and so I missed it. And so um, I just, I was unsure. I was really unsure as to, to what was happening. And so we get on the ride and, and my daughter was, was all smiles. She was so excited because this was the thing. If we were going to Disney, this was the thing that she wanted to do was ride this ride in particular. And I said, all right. And so being father of the year in that moment, I decided, you know what? I need to take a picture. So check out this picture. This is us, uh, pre-Slinky Dog. Um, very important to note that this is pre-Slinky Dog. <laughs> so we get on the ride. We, we're there. We're, we're taking the picture. We're doing the thing. And all of a sudden, the ride starts going. And my, my daughter is so excited. A huge smile on her face. She's like, thank you, Dad. This is so much fun. And then we start to go. And the ride goes up. And church... For those of you that have been on a roller coaster, you know that when the ride goes up, what's it about to do next? It's about to go down and sideways, right? We're about to ride all over Andy's backyard. It's gonna happen right now in this moment. And I know what's gonna happen, but she doesn't know what's gonna happen. And so I lean over to her and I say, Ezra, isn't this so fun? Yes, dad, this is so great. But then it was not so great. We started going downhill and she starts screaming at me. She hates me in this moment. And hate, hate might not even be the right word in this. She has disowned me as her father. She's now calling me Ryan. It's a whole mess. And she starts going down and she's screaming and yelling at me. And I'm, I keep leaning over to her and I say, Ezra, isn't this so fun? No, it's not, Dad. I hate you. You're the worst father. How could you do this to me? We snuck on this ride. Like she understood all the things. She became real smart, real fast. And throughout the entire ride, I continued to lean over to her and I said, Ezra, isn't this so fun? The ride ends. And I knew that I wasn't father of the year anymore. So I decided to take an after picture. Here it is. (laughs) 
You laugh. You guys are heartless. It's my poor daughter there. Jeez. When we get done with the ride and my daughter starts making her way down that, that long sidewalk. You know the sidewalk where at the end of the sidewalk they take all your money? That's where we're going. And uh, she looks at me and she says, Dad, that was so fun. <laughs> what ride were you on? Because the ride that I was on was not fun for anybody. That made my mind really think. What was it about that ride? What was it about that ride specifically that she would say that was so fun? Here's what it was. Here's what it was. Here's what it was. I was with her in it. Because I was present with her in it, it made all the difference. Here's the truth. Whatever you carried in here today, guilt, shame, past, fear, doubt, whatever it is that you carried in here today, know this. He's with you. He's with you in it. And all it takes is for you to say, hey, hey Jesus, would you say the word? Would you say the word in my fear? Would you say the word in my doubt? Would you say the word in my setbacks? Would you say the word in my limitations? Would you say the word in what I'm going through? Because here's the truth, church. The easiest way to distance yourself from God is to do nothing. Would we be a people who would say, Jesus, would you say the word in my life? Would you say the word? Would you wake up every single day with a childlike faith? Last story and I'll be done. A couple years ago, my wife and I were getting ready to go on a trip. We're going to go celebrate New Year's Eve in Vegas. And we weren't going to take the kids. The kids were going to stay back in Nebraska at my sister's house. And so we let our kids pack their own bags. We say, you guys pack what you want to go to Tammy's house, and you do whatever you want. And so my son packs his bag, and as a good dad, I decided I'm going to look at his bag before he goes off to my sister's just in case he didn't pack correctly. And so I start going through his bag, and at the top of the bag is like a T-shirt, a pair of shorts, one pair of socks, and at the very bottom of the bag, the first thing he packed was his swimsuit. Now, maybe you didn't catch what I said. We're going to be gone over New Year's Eve in Nebraska. <laughs> he didn't pack anything correctly. And so I said, Daxon, I need to understand, like, why did you pack your swimsuit? I, I, the shorts and this pair of socks and T-shirt, I expected that. Like, you need a hoodie, you need a jacket, you need the things. But why did you pack a swimsuit? He looked at the bag and he said, Dad, you never know when we might go swimming. <laughs> Church, he went swimming that week, like multiple times. We need to be people who wake up every single day with that thought. You never know when God's gonna bless you. You never know when God's gonna do what it is that you're asking him to do. So let's be people who ask him. Let's wake up every single day with a childlike faith to pack a swimsuit every single day metaphorically in your spiritual life to say, Jesus, would you do something in my circumstance? Would you do something in what I'm going through? Would you do something in my past, in my shame, in my guilt, in my pain? Would you do something? Would you say the word? Because here's the truth. You know what he's amazed by? He's amazed by faith. So let's amaze Jesus today by being faithful to him and say, would you do something in my circumstance? Would you do something in my pain, in my past, in my health diagnosis, in my family crisis, in my financial situation? Would you do something in my life today? And so today as we close, we're gonna do something a little bit different. Today, I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna ask you to, to come out of your comfort zone for a little while. To just ask God, say, say, say the word. Say the word in what I'm going through. 
Because here's the truth. We, we can all pretend like we're all fine. We can all pretend like we walked in here and there's nothing going on in our world. And there's nothing going on in our life. And there's nothing going on in our family. There's nothing going on in our marriage. There's nothing going on in our finances. And we can pretend like that all day long. <laughs> Jesus knows. And so why wouldn't we just invite him to that today? And so I'm going to pray. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If after the service you, you want to stay and, and want to be prayed for, just stay in your seat and someone will come around and pray with you and for you. Maybe you want me to pray with you today. And here is the truth. There is nothing special about my prayer, nothing. But here's, here's what I can offer. I can offer that you will never, ever, ever see me again. So if you got some things you want to share that you say, you know what? I got some stuff that I'm dealing with that I need someone that I can share this stuff to. Here's the thing. You're going to see me one of two times ever again. Eternity and at a gas station on the way to the airport. That's the only times you're going to see me. So feel free to come and find me. I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you today. But I'm going to pray in a second. And would we be people, would we be people who would just say, God, would you say the word in whatever it is that I'm going through today, whatever I brought in here today? Because all of us have stuff that he could say the word in to fix the circumstances. Because when Jesus speaks, things change. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity that we have today to bring all of our cares and our worries and our concerns and our doubt and our addiction and our pain and our shame and our guilt, our stress, our depression, our marriage struggles, our financial struggles, our job stuff. We can bring all that to you today and ask you to do something in us and through us and for us because you're capable and you're willing. And so God, would we be people who would impress you with our faith to lean in to say, Hey, God, say the word. Say the word in, in these circumstances today. God, I pray for anybody here today that is far from you, that today might be a day that they would come back to you. They would see and recognize your grace and your mercy and your love. I pray for the individuals in the room who maybe have been too familiar with your grace and your mercy and your love that we forget. Forget to have the joy of it. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to bring everything before you now and ask that you would do something in us and through us and for us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's your name that we pray, amen. Have a great weekend, guys.